Well, welcome once again, everybody, to Voice of Reason Radio. Your hosts, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story, joining you on this Saturday, September 18th, 2021. We're getting so close to the end of the year, I almost forgot what month we're in. Um, and it, you know why? It's because I went to Walmart today and the Christmas stuff was out with the Halloween stuff and I'm just completely messed up. So, <laughs> and, and now people are like, uh, Alan Nelson are just giddy as a school child because they can put up their Christmas trees and y'all just need help. You know, just let Turkey day come. That's all I'm saying. Let Turkey day come then whatever. But anyway, so welcome once again to voice of reason radio. We are so glad to have you with us this week. Um, it seems that last week's program, Rich, really, I, I think it helped for a couple of people. I, I, I We had a wonderful comment from a, a brother on Twitter, uh, Brad George, uh, you blessed us for with this comment. He just said, uh, just wanted to thank you brothers for your last podcast. It was incredibly convicting and what a privilege we have to show grace to a world that hates us because of Christ. Um, absolutely. And, and I, I I say this as someone who, as I read through First Peter over and over and over again, this was, I I was the chief student of last of last week's podcast. So I get where you're coming from. It is convicting uh, to go through this and and to think about what it means to to be. We have to live righteously in days like these. So. Brad, thank you. I know. I mean, I know. Rich, we had at least another one, but I wanted to share that, and I wanted to thank Brad for, for his comment. That was just very kind, and um, it always, always amazes me, brother, when we have people who say the things that they do and and, and share these kind comments. And sometimes we get some not so kind comments, but that's okay. It's it, it, you know everybody's going to have their own opinions, and I, I'm fine with that. But it's always just so uh, so gracious when we hear from you guys thanking us and th- uh, thanking us for the message and stuff because um honestly brother i feel like sometimes i'm <laughs> I, i'm like do i do i make any sense whatsoever <laughs> so uh, so anyway thank you brad thank you for those uh, to those of you who uh who have commented to us and shared your thoughts we are so we are so grateful i uh, want to remind you voice of reason radio is part of the Christian podcast community, which now includes, because we just gave him a shout out last week, now includes uh, Gene Clyatt and his uh, program, Squirrel Chatter. It is now officially part, as he has, uh, he put it out on his podcast, so I can say this, uh, it is now officially part of the Christian podcast community. I highly, highly recommend you go l- listen to it. Look, Gene right now is doing 15, 10, 15, 20 minute podcast every morning just reading through the Bible and giving you some thoughts. And it's such a fantastic way to get the word of God into you. Um, highly, highly recommend you go check it out as we do really all the programs on the Christian podcast community, go to podcast.strivingforeternity.org. You will always find a really good program there. Uh, and, and it's vetted. We've said this before. It's vetted. It's not, it's not the Apple podcast collection of what falls under the category of something that sounds like christian it is it's legitimately good stuff so you're always going to be blessed by checking that out and please uh, always go to our website slave to the king.com sign up for updates so uh, that you can get through the email so if we put out articles as new programs come out you will get the, that information 
You can find our contact us page. You can find the support link for Patreon. And by the way, uh, Drew Von Nita, you are a, a gracious and kind brother. Um, Rich and I are always so hesitant to to share anything about the Patreon link uh, because we don't like the idea of making it sound like we're trying to beg for money. Uh, you know, we we make it available, but it's between you and God. Drew Von Nita, who is uh, works with Chris Huff on Matter of Theology, although he's less involved these days because he's got a lot on his plate, was very kind and very generous in, in encouraging people to consider uh, supporting this program. Uh, he's basically said, you know, I know these guys hate asking, so I'm going to ask for them. So, <laughs> uh, Drew, thank you. That was that was very generous and very kind of you to do that. But, uh, yes, if you do want to support, we always ask, if you want to support, support us through prayer. Support us by sharing the program. You can even go and get... Uh, you know, the, the, the official t-shirts that you can wear at, which will help promote the program. Um, but if God has so allowed you and you have the ability and you're looking for a way to help continue to just make the, sure the program keeps going, the, pay, the Patreon link is there. Um, now if you do it, Rich discovered this, but apparently if you do it through the mobile version of the website so if you go like on your iphone or your samsung or whatever and you type in slave to the king.com and I, he's right it's not showing up so i'll figure out how to fix that but if you go through on your computer and you pull up slave to the king.com you can see the whole uh page then you should be able to find the link to that i'll figure out how to make it available on on the mobile version of the page i I'm not tech savvy and we don't have an IT crowd. So, <laughs> so we'll figure that out as best we can. So, uh, brother, how are you doing this week? I'm so glad to have you two weeks in a row. <laughs> We're on a roll now. Yeah. Um, maybe, hopefully things will settle down and we can continue week to week. I know the last couple of months has been kind of hit and miss on my <laughs> part being able to join you, but Hopefully and prayerfully, things are settling down some. I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful to be able to be with you at any time that the Lord allows for us to get together and discuss things of the Bible and, and His Word and putting the things, the situations and the circumstances in our lives into biblical perspective. You know, we're, there's no shortage of topics these days, and the last two or three years, there's been no shortage of things going on in this world. It seems like uh, the longer we do this, the more there is to shuffle through and try to figure out what would be the best <laughs> approach for each week. But um, through the Lord's grace, you and I have been doing this now nearly five and a half years. Mm -hmm. And like you say, it's coming up on the end of September already. seems like we were just in the spring and now here we are going into fall and only three months away from christmas believe it or not which will be here in a blink of an eye just <laughs> like our time here on the earth passes in a blink of an eye i know when when we're younger like in our 20s maybe even our 30s and maybe you know even in our teens it seems like the future is so far out in front of us and that you know we have all the time in the world and you know, the the thought of being in our 60s seems like forever away, but 
I was always told growing up, the older you get, the faster time goes by. And those older gentlemen that told me that when I was a teenager were absolutely <laughs> correct. So, you know, our, our time on this earth is short, especially compared to our time in eternity. It literally is, like the Bible says, a blink of an eye. Yeah. So we need to be making the most of our time while we're here on earth. And as Christians, our primary duty and goal is to glorify Christ in everything that we do in our lives, in our work, with our families, and with people around us. Um, sadly, in today's world, especially living in the United States like we do, and most of our listeners you know, live here in the United States, I think sometimes we tend to forget that, especially during times of persecution, <laughs> hardship, when when we don't think the government's conducting itself in a way that it should, I think sometimes we tend to forget that the Bible still commands us to live a godly life that Amen. glorifies Him and His Word, and that we should strive for peace with everyone, walking in humility. And I think, sadly... We tend to forget that, but, you know, over the course of the last several weeks, you've been reading and studying through First Peter. I've gone through this, and it overlaps so many other verses in the teachings of Christ that, especially during times of suffering, hardship, and persecution, we are to glorify Christ even more during those times than we are during good times. Sadly, in American evangelicalism, um, good times, bad times, or medium times, most people live to glorify themselves yep. Amen. and make themselves heard. And that is not how we are commanded to live. Before we go much further, I'm, I should have done this to start, but I would like to apologize for my stupid joke last week <laughs> about Louisiana and the smells. Um, a, a, a couple of people took exception to it, and I meant no offense. <laughs> Um, it was said in jazz, mostly as an inside about an inside joke among our family. But if you were offended by that, and yes, it was a stupid joke. If you were offended, I sincerely apologize. I have a lot of brothers and sisters and quite a few blood family members that actually live in the state of Louisiana. I did not mean to besmirch your native state. It was simply a very, very bad joke. So please forgive me. <laughs> oh, we used to have humor. We we used to we used to find things funny. Okay. Well, well actually, brother, I'll have to. Actually, that was a stupid joke. <laughs> uh, I was trying to retell a story as it was told to me, that was kind of humorous the way that it was put because it was being told by someone that it happened to, and somewhere in the translation it got lost. So I do apologize. <laughs> And I completely tanked it. I owned the fact that I tanked it. I confess I tanked it. I confess it was a bad joke. And um, I apologized to a couple of individuals, and they accepted my apology. But I just wanted to go on the record for the rest of our audience and acknowledge, yes, it was a bad joke. It was not told very well. And in hindsight, I probably should have just kept my mouth shut and omitted it altogether. <laughs> but <laughs> sometimes my brain works independently of my mouth, and at times my mouth works independently of my brain, which means I'm human. <laughs> Welcome to the human race. 
Uh, no, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, you mentioned, you know, in, in these difficult times, you know, we need to be honoring to God and, and, and submitting to him, which was where we, we left off last week. But I want to share something that I just think is, it's almost comical if it doesn't, if it didn't give you a, a massive migraine. It's made its rounds on the internet today. There is a church in New York City. And honestly, if you're in New York City and looking for a good church, personally, I kind of think you should check this one out. Apparently, there's a church uh, in New York City by the name of Providence Baptist Church, pbc.nyc. And they were at some sort of fair or event where they were out giving out gospel tracts. In addition to that, as many churches do, they've put out a a small flyer identifying this is our church. This is what we are. I love what it says. I honestly love this. It says, tired of woke churches? You're invited to PB- PBC. No to masks and ma- uh, mask and vax mandates. No to pre-registration requirement. No to seating assignments. Now, if you are from New York, that's extremely important. Because remember, New York has shut things down. New York has locked everything up. New York has said, unless you have a vaccine passport you can't go anywhere so this is a church stepping up and saying if you want to come to church we're not going to require you to wear a mask or be vaccinated we're not going to make you pre-register to get a seat and we're certainly not going to as you know sit you x number of feet apart you know you come to church two more things i think were great no to CRTI, critical race theory, and no to skin color-based guilt. So in other words, they're not going to jump on the bandwagon of the day, or which is the bandwagon du jour, and we're going to and, and they're not going to preach politics. They so what do they actually do? They say yes to biblical preaching, yes to congregational singing, yes to conservative theology, yes to uh, reform teaching, yes to vibrant fellowship. Yes to opportunities to serve. Yes to people your age. And by the way, the person who shared this did note mention that this was at a college. So, in other words, this college students. By the way, you're going to find people your age here. It's it's you know it's that's that's an incentive for some people. And yes to serious discipleship. So, all the things that make a fantastic church, and all the things that they say we're not going to do, which are is succumbing to the fears of the day and chasing after the 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 the, bib, uh, the the cultural idols of the day what did the person who shared this say makes me want to throw up <laughs> and i'm not kidding the comments that followed by the way those of you that found this shared it and then jumped on the thread praise god for you because every a whole lot of people jumped in and said i want to go to this church praise god for you but there's a whole bunch of people that jumped in there going, imagine thinking Jesus of all people would be conservative. Uh, you know, imagine thinking masks are woke. Uh, this is what happens when you mix Bob Jones with MacArthur. You know, it's like, oh my goodness, people. This, you know, I had somebody get upset with me saying they've just turned themselves into a, ha- a political haven. What political haven? They said they want, they're they not going to participate in the cultural idols of the day. They're not going to be wrapped up in fear, but they're going to preach the word of God. Rich, this is what just sometimes dumbfounds me, but at the same time makes me just laugh because here we are. We're talking about what do you need to do in times such as these? 
Uh, be submissive to God. Honor Him. Live righteously. Live holy lives. And part of that is, of course, being part of a vibrant fellowship that preaches sound doctrine. Because that's where you're going to get this stuff. And, you know, it's to me, this is like, hmm... Vody Balcom had a word for it. In fact, I think he wrote a whole book called Fault Lines. Um, there, there are. This was a massive demonstration of exactly what Vody Balcom said: that you have these massive fault lines, and that they have taken up sides, and you've got people that just absolutely will not budge on the idea that a church can care about the Word of God more than the uh, the cultural idols of the day. And, and, and these individuals go, you're just trying to be political. No, they're trying to be biblical. So I would encourage you to go check this out. If you're up in New York City, it sounds like there's a really good church up there that you can be part of. So, um, But that being said, <coughs> we really do need to pick up from uh, our program from last week. Rich, when we left off last week, we were talking about uh, out of chapter 2 where Peter identifies us as that we are this chosen race, this royal priesthood that is to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. You know, that we who were called out of darkness into his marvelous light, we're his people. We've been called to proclaim. And part of how we do that is not just the words we say, but it's reinforced by how we live. And he talks about keeping our conduct honorable so that when the Gentiles who speak of us as evildoers, on the day of judge on the day of judgment, when Christ comes back in judgment, there's they're gonna see the good deeds that we've done and it's gonna you know glorify God. Right now, it is a testimony to our faith that we obey God, yet they speak of us as evildoers. And by the way, I know Todd Friel over at um, Wretched Radio spoke about this. I heard the clip that got shared around. I'm not going to get into the the, the Romans 13, uh, 1 Peter 3.13 debate. Okay, we, We've had that discussion on this show. We're not going to get into that. But Todd said something, and maybe it was just not worded well, but I actually emailed wretched i have no idea whether they bothered to read it i have no idea whether they'll actually listen to the episode but i took issue with something that todd said and todd basically made tried to make the case at least from my understanding that it was our honorable conduct and our obedience to government that would make people a la um you know uh chapter three verse i think 15 where it says um you know uh yeah, but honor in your heart, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for any to anyone who asks for you a reason for the hope that is in you. And he basically, in my listening to it, kind of made it sound like because of uh, we are good citizens, that's what's going to make people ask. I absolutely disagree with that. I believe that all of this. Peter has written, and Todd rightly identified this, as it was written to people under persecution. And our obedience to Christ, not being good citizens, but our obedience to Christ is what not only uh, you know reinforces what we say, but it also brings about that persecution. And so when we're under persecution and they're saying, how can you have this hope? We can testify to that. So I I disagree with Todd on that one. I, I I maybe that's not how he intended it, but in my opinion, 
it came across as, well, by being good citizens, that's what will cause people to ask us. I disagree with that. I think by being obedient to Christ, we actually identify ourselves with Christ and our obedience to Christ is manifested in many ways, one of which we talked about last uh, week, Rich, was that idea of being subject to every human institution. So being obedient to the, the, the laws of the land, you know, paying your taxes, obeying the speed limit, not stealing, not hurting others, etc. This idea that even under persecution from the people that hate us, we're still obedient citizens. Why? Not so we can kind of go, look, we're really good people, but because we go, we wish to honor God who has commanded us to do so. And so we that's kind of where we wrap things up. We talked about uh, being obedient to every human institution, but also being sir, uh, being good servants to our masters and and since we don't have that slave master relationship we you know it the closest we can kind of identify that is is the workplace and saying even when we work under a horrible boss and by the way we did make that caveat nothing says you have to stay in a horrible work environment but while you're there even under a horrible boss even under a boss who treats you poorly because of your faith you are obedient to Christ and you honor Christ and you keep your conduct honorable and even when you suffer wrongly you suffer uh, you you know you suffer it quietly and you endure it and that's a testimony because that's even a gracious thing so that's kind of where we wrapped up last week rich so before we move forward any thoughts about what uh, what we talked about last week well just <coughs> to expand what you said just a little bit it's not only when we're being persecuted regardless of the situation or the type of persecution, or as you said, you know, if we're being mistreated by a boss because of our faith, it's not even always just when it's because of our faith, but even when we suffer unjustly for any reason, not just suffering for the sake of Christ, but when we are mistreated just because we have a horrible boss, or we're mistreated because we have a horrible mayor or a governor or a president. It's not even always just for the sake that you're a Christian, you're going to suffer. Especially in today's world, more times than not, Satan will come at us at a different angle to where, okay, you're suffering. It doesn't have anything to do with Christ. You're just going <coughs> to suffer these particular cir circumstances because, Satan is going to try to divert your attention away from Christ and make you react in a way that does not glorify Christ, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and if Peter even talks about the idea of, you know, when he's talking about being a servant to your, a good servant to your master, he says, for um, what credit is it if you, when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure we can't, you're right. We can't say that just the mere existence of suffering means that we are suffering for Christ's sake. Sometimes we earn that uh, behavior. And guess what? We all sin. We all do and say things we should not do. And so sometimes God's going to allow the consequences of our behavior to impact us. So you're right. We got to be real careful. And, and, and I, I can't help but think about, you know, street witnessing. We, we see... There are godly men who get up on the box and they're preaching and they're attacked. They're uh, they're 
insulted. They're they're hurled with you know the uh, they have the worst things hurled at them. We've even seen police arrest them, and these are people suffering for Christ's sake because they're actually doing the work of preaching the gospel. But then you have these street screechers who are a law to themselves who are crass, who are vile, who say the worst possible things. They, and by the way, if you think you're brave because you can call, you can name names, but you act like a jerk for Jesus, and then people get upset with you, guess what? You're not suffering for Christ's sake, okay? And, and some of us on the internet need to remember that. And we're all guilty of it to some extent. But uh, the, the idea that we think we're suffering when we have drawn attention to ourselves and wanted attention for ourselves and we think our behavior is justifiable and we can be mean spirited and harsh and uh, critical and then we get then we want to say we're suffering for christ's sake rich i i got to agree with you sometimes we just we are earning the the very consequences of our behavior so we got to be careful about that we cannot simply just say well i'm suffering well that doesn't mean you're suffering for jesus <laughs> so all right so but oh, let me ahead. add this right here and i i think i and i apologize my notes got a bit mixed up i think this came from bible.org but when we suffer or are persecuted one of the things that we should do that few of us if any of us ever do, we need to stop and ask ourselves, are we suffering because of sin or are we suffering because of righteousness? When is the last time you were in a situation and you were suffering? When is the last time you asked yourself and really truly examined, were you suffering because of your sin or were you suffering for righteousness sake? I know that I don't know. I can't name a time that I actually stopped and thought about that and asked myself, you know, these circumstances, are they because of my hand or something I did in the past that I'm making excuses for in my head? Or, you know, am I guilty of something and now I'm paying the consequences of it? Or am I truly suffering innocently for righteousness sake? I mean, that's in this discussion, I think that's something we should address with one another because in First Peter 4.15, it says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's making a distinction that, you know, there's going to be times we'll suffer because of our sin compared to, you know, times where we're truly suffering for righteousness sake, like the example that you put forward but it goes on to say the believer should not suffer because he is a complainer causing division or any other sin. Often Christians will claim to be suffering for Christ when they are actually suffering because they will not submit to God's ordained authority under their bosses or because they are stirring up problems. And you and I both have been part of that. We've been guilty of it, and we see it, mm -hmm. especially online when it comes to suffering as a meddler, basically sticking our nose somewhere it didn't belong. Mm -hmm. But it says Christians should not suffer for being a meddler in other people's business. For this reason, the Christian must evaluate his suffering. Is this suffering because of my sin? And that's something I would like to put forth to our listeners. The next time that you're in a situation where you are suffering, you need to stop and ask yourself, are you suffering because of your sin? Maybe you're a meddler. Maybe 
you know, you fall into one of these other categories, or are you suffering, truly suffering for righteousness sake? If it's because of sin, you need to go to Christ in prayer, ask for forgiveness, ask for wisdom in your conduct moving forward. And if it is truly because of righteousness, you need to give praise to the Lord. Thank the Lord for allowing you to endure that hardship because it is meant for your own good to sanctify you in Christ and for your conduct in that situation so that you will glorify Christ in your conduct. Um, I don't, honestly, when do we ever find ourselves in a situation that is very unpleasant, whether it's suffering persecution or whatever it might be, when do we stop and ask ourselves, how can I glorify Christ Mm -hmm. in what I'm going through? Generally, we, we are very reactionary, you know, things discipline or suffering comes upon us it's unpleasant we don't like it we want out of it as fast as possible but biblically we should stop and examine and ask how can i glorify christ in what i'm going through does that make sense brother you know absolutely and i think that is one of the questions we you're absolutely we don't ask ourselves near enough um most times we're going through it what are we praying for lord take this from me and it's a valid prayer. There's, there's, not, there's nothing saying that we should not ask the Lord to take suffering from us. But we also should emulate Paul when he says he prayed three times that a thorn in his flesh would be taken from him. But ultimately, God's answer was it, it, that his grace was made uh, manifest in Paul's suffering. So Paul recognized that there was his, you know, that God's strength was made manifest in Paul's weakness. And so there, we've got to be willing to say that sometimes as we go through trials and tribulations, it may not be that we are to be delivered from it. And that is a very difficult thing, especially in a, in a day and age and in a society where we are not used to that. Um, we are fortunate in that we do not live in a, you know, something. Okay, speaking primarily to... Those of us that live in America, Canada, and and some of you guys in the UK, we are Western culture, relatively easy lives, relatively speaking. We're not talking third world nation. We're not talking about living in China or North Korea or the Middle East under heavy persecution. Uh, By the way, always be praying for those churches. Um, You know, pray as if you are part of that church. These are your brethren who are going through very difficult times. So we, we are used to the idea that if something bad is going on, there should be some way to get out of it. And so it, you're right, Rich. We don't always seek to, uh, in our prayers to God, how do I glorify you in this? And let me tell you something, that is a necessity. And I'll, and I'll, I'll just give a personal testimonial. I, say, I think I've talked about this before on the show. My wife many years ago went through cancer. And it was a very tough battle, but by God's grace, she's still with us. And, 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 you know, here we are nine years later. But one of the things that we learned is that there were people watching her going through this. And later, somebody we knew who had gone, it was starting to go through cancer, remembered watching my wife and how she handled it. And by the way, we had bad days, okay? It's not to say that every day was sunshine and rainbows. Um, We had our bad days, but... My wife always sought to 
try to put her best foot forward and honor God and, and, and put a smile on her face, even though she knew this was hard and she was in pain and it was, it was difficult. And she wanted to honor God. And the person who had observed this and who is now going through cancer tells my wife, I just remembered watching you and how you handled this so graciously. God was glorified in my wife's trial, in her suffering. Because that somebody saw what she went through and wanted to emulate what she saw because she wanted to honor God because she, what she saw in someone else. So you're right, Rich. When we suffer, we need to be asking that question because, yes, it's all right to ask for deliverance. But if God's desire is for us to go through the trial all the way through it and not deliver us, then, Lord, give me the strength to submit to you and to glorify you in this. How do I do that, Lord? Show me what to do. And that's, that is something that we simply don't, we don't talk about it enough, and we certainly don't practice it enough. You're absolutely right. So remember that what was the primary thing that Peter started us off with? It was the, the, that we are redeemed in Christ, that we have this salvation waiting for us that will be fulfilled when Christ returns. That we are saved, and when we are brought, brought before God on Judgment Day, we, are, uh, we receive our glorified bodies. We, we are no longer just you know, um, set apart. We're no longer just going through sanctification. We will be glorified. And that was, that was the thing to keep our eyes on as we go through trials and tribulations. And here we are, this royal priesthood, this holy nation, this chosen race, uh, proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. That was where our eyes were fixed. And so he kind of starts in this kind of big picture narrowing further and further down and he says keep your your uh your conduct among the gentiles honorable and then he narrows it down a little bit more and he says oh you know be subject to the human institutions then he brings it down a little bit more and he says be subject to your masters even the bad ones and you know pointing to fact that christ himself when he was reviled did not revile in turn and that uh that we would die to sin and live to righteousness and then he dials it down even tighter. And he talks about our interpersonal relationships. The fact, the most interpersonal you can get, husbands and wives. And he tells wives, he says, be subject to your own husbands. And this is the one that's going to get us in trouble because we, you know, we always hear how submission is this terrible thing. But this is what Peter is saying to Christians under persecution. Wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. This idea that your behavior, maybe the word of God, which is the primary means by which salvation is brought, they, they don't necessarily go running to that, but they look at you as the wife and they go, how is it, even with everything that's going on, and here, here I hate God, how can she be like this? How can she be submissive to me? How can she be uh, loving me and, and sh showing pure and respectable conduct? And then he, this is one that's going to really get us in trouble, Rich. He says, don't let your, uh, your adorning be external, not just the way you look. He says, the braiding of your hair and the putting on of gold and jewelry or the clothing you wear. In other words, it's not the outward appearance we're talking about. Don't just look like a, a respectable person. Rather, he says, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart 
with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is which in God's sight is very precious. You know, ladies, I know this is a really touchy subject, especially because of how we've pictured and, and, and portrayed the concept of submission. But Peter is saying two people under persecution, women, with wives, by your chaste conduct, by your respectable conduct, by the that that beautiful and quiet spirit in which you what submit to God. You know, you are being used by him as a living example of his grace. You, uh, you know, even in the worst of all scenarios, persecution, you are submitting to your husband and you are doing it. Why? To glorify God. Not, not so you could be a doormat, not so that the husband can get away with whatever. That's not what's being said here. You are glorifying God and your conduct speaks volumes to this man who doesn't even want to know what the word of God has to say. And he says, and this is really going to get us in trouble now. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. I get it. Okay, the concept of submission as it is portrayed in popular culture today is this foul and loathsome word. We hate it. But that's not what genuine biblical submission is. Remember that Sarah had a husband who said, Hey, by the way, uh, say that you're my sister, so I don't die. <laughs> okay? Abraham didn't always make the best choices. Okay? Yet he was a man who was called of God and was a friend of God because of his faith. Yet said, hey, Sarah, say that you're my sister so they don't kill me and take you. And, and yet, here's this these times when he's failed God. And yet Sarah calls him Lord throughout the life of their marriage and submits to him. And what does Peter say? Wives, if you do likewise, you are her children. Don't fear these things that you look at. And it's so frightening, this idea to submit to your husband. Rather, don't fear, but trust in, 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 in Christ. It's like, the, it's like when we back up into chapter 2 and you have that horrible boss, that horrible master. It is a gracious thing when you suffer and you do so quietly. You, you do so graciously. You're not reviling for reviling. You're being called to something greater. Now, I know what's going to happen. Every egalitarian is going to say, see, they want you to be a doormat. They want you to put up with physical and sexual abuse. They don't want you to open your mouth. I didn't say that. It's not what I said. It's not what the scriptures call for either. But even when you're living in a marriage where the husband is not wanting to be obedient to God, you're still submitting to who? Primarily to God, because he's called you to something greater. Rather than trying to control the marriage, rather than trying to steer the husband and make him do the right thing, you're submitting to him 
and rich, this goes against all of popular culture, but the idea is you can win him by that chaste conduct. Doesn't that fly in the face of everything we've ever heard? Well, absolutely, brother. And as much as you and I both object to friendship evangelism, if there's any biblical foundation for friendship evangelism, this would be it. If husband, if your wife is not saved, wife, if your husband is not saved, this is really the only one of the only times that some form of friendship evangelism would apply. Because in this, each of us are commanded to live in our marriage, whether it be a wife or a husband, whichever situation it may be, where one is saved and the other is not. Our conduct and the way that we glorify Christ in our words, our actions, our deeds, and in our responses has the purpose to glorify Christ so that the spouse will see your good conduct and ask and think, why are they able to endure hardship and suffering and yet still glorify the God they claim, the only one true God, Jesus Christ? Um, I think it would apply also with parents and children or flip-flop children with parents. You know, it's it's those relationships that we have intimately every day within our family, around people that we're with, you know, not necessarily 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but those in our household. They know what we're like when we're at home. They know what we're like when we're not at church. They see what's really on the inside of the cup. Most of us, you know, if we're going to be honest, we can dress up the outside of the (coughs) cup, meaning our life, and put on a good front and show up at church and be well-dressed and say the right things and sing the right songs and, and all of this, and maybe even put on that facade while we're at work. But when we're at home and the world is stripped away and it's just us and our family, they can really, really, truly look at us and see what we're like, how we respond as spouses, how we respond to each other as children looking at their parents, how the parents see the children respond to each other. And that's the time that, you know, other people can truly see what's inside of the cup. You know, Christ talked about, you know, the Pharisees would clean the outside of the cup, but they should have been more concerned what's on the inside of the cup when it came to the washing and those type of things. But that also goes back to this. It's that eternal striving for holiness, that desire to live a godly life. We will not do that perfectly as long as we're on earth. But if we're growing in Christ, our desire to glorify Christ will increase from day to day. And it will also be, we can look at ourselves and ask ourselves, do I desire to live a life that is holy and pleasing to Christ? Do I pray for Christ to grant me the faith and grace to live a life holy and pleasing to him? Or do I only reach out to Christ during these times of suffering and persecution? Do I glorify Christ when things are going good? Do I give thanks to him during those good times? Do I give thanks to him during the bad times? 
these are the things that we need to ask ourselves and look at ourselves and examine in our lives. You know, ultimately, we are going to fail miserably. We will sin each day. The difference is practicing sin and fighting against sin. And then it goes even deeper. It's a matter of what do we truly desire in our hearts? Mm -hmm. Do we go online just wanting to win arguments? Or are we going online to proclaim Christ, to glorify Christ? And the same thing in our jobs, our lives, you know, at work, with our families, even in our communities. And then it gets to that very, very private time when we're in prayer with the Lord, if we even bother to go in prayer to the Lord. What are our prayers about? Is it me, 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 or is it him, 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 him? What are we praying for? Are we praying for the Lord to bless us materially, or do we seek first the kingdom of Christ as Jesus commanded us in the book of Matthew when he said, seek first the kingdom of the Lord and all these things will be added to you? You know, how many times do we pray for sinful things, not because we want or need something to glorify Christ, but just because of our own greed and our own pride, are we seeking after something? But ultimately, if you do not pray and ask the Lord to grant you a heart, to grant you the desire to live a life holy and pleasing to him, do you pray to the Lord to grant you the desire to proclaim his gospel? Do you pray to the Lord to grant you the desire to know and understand his word, to increase your wisdom, to increase your understanding, to increase your love, compassion, humility. What are we seeking after is what ultimately what all this boils down to. If we're not seeking the things of the Lord during peaceful and calm times, what makes us think we're ever going to seek to glorify Christ when times are hard and persecution comes and we're made to suffer for his name? How many times do we ever look back in our lives and realize that the Lord was disciplining us for our good? When did we thank the Lord for loving, enough, loving us enough to discipline us, to sanctify us, to make us more like him? When have we ever thanked him for those times? Amen. It's easy to thank him when things go well. But the sad thing is, most people don't think to thank him in the good times, much less in the bad. Amen. Amen. And... You know that's that's the next thing we want to talk about is you know, is this idea of, of suffering for Christ's sake. I, I do want to uh, swing back to this interpersonal relationship. Husbands, we're not off the hook. Okay, Peter in one verse sums up what is probably the most difficult thing in the world for husbands. He says, "Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way." In an understanding way, how often do we either are we either apathetic and show no care for the things that they are concerned with, or are we domineering and just expect them to do what we want? Neither of which are, are understanding. Neither of which show concern or care. Neither of which are we seeking to be obedient to God and how we treat our wives. Rather, we are, as he says, to show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. We're to honor them. We're to cherish them. We're to protect, lead, and guide them. We often talk about 
Eve being deceived in the garden, but where was Adam? Did nothing to protect her from the lies of the serpent, nothing to, to, to protect her from the false that he spoke. Just stood there and let it all happen. Did not you know, protect his wife. Did not protect his bride. We are to honor them as the weaker vessel. That means we step up. We don't leave the you know all the the uh, the tough stuff of raising the kids and uh, leading and teaching and guiding to the to to our wives. We step up. We honor them as the weaker vessel. We say we, it is our duty as husbands to love them, cherish them, protect them, guide and lead. We are to be the example. They are heirs with us in the grace of life. And he says, do this so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, how often are you going on your knees and praying, but you just had a, you know, a, a terrible spat with your wife and you haven't repented for the things that you've said? How apathetic have you been in the leading of your family, yet you expect God to deliver you out of the very trials and tribulations we're talking about? Your prayers can be hindered by your lack of love and honor for your wife. Go ahead, Rich. I just wanted to add this before you get much further. We need to look at the historical and biblical context of this passage. You need to understand that when this was written, <coughs> wives were treated, for the most part, not much better than a servant. They, were, they did not have the equal rights and all the things that people today are used to. This was written during a time when women and a wife was not much better than a servant. Mm -hmm. They were not necessarily looked down on, but they were not elevated to a level of equality with, with the husband. You know, this, this was a time where, you know, husbands, the, the norm was, you know, basically come home, eat, and everything else was left, you know, was your time. The wife was there just to take care of the kids and make sure you had something to eat and clean the home. You know, the, uh, I can't put it any more plain than, you know, women were treated like servants. They were not much better off or not treated much better than the, the common house slave was. So this was something that really stood out. It made Christianity stand out and above all the other religions of the time was that the Bible did elevate women to a level of equality with mm -hmm. men when it comes to salvation. Granted, women were to still to submit to their husbands as Sarah submitted to Abraham, but women also were learning that they had freedom in Christ that they did not have in the Roman culture, and some women were trying to step out and above the God-given roles that they had you know, been granted because they were not used to this freedom in Christ. They were not used to being considered equal in the eyes of the Lord. You know, even in the eyes of the Roman gods, women were subservient to the men. Um, female gods were subservient to the male gods to the point to where, you know, they were almost like slaves. And I know it gets off into a lot of different tangents, but I just wanted to emphasize the fact that the Bible when it was written and these letters were penned by Peter, it was something completely different than what was going on in the world. And that was the fact that 
women were elevated to equality and salvation in Jesus Christ. They were to be treated with respect and dignity. That was completely countercultural to the society of the time that these epistles were written. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry for interrupting you, brother. I just no. wanted to make that distinction. No, and I think that's it, it absolutely even puts a greater emphasis on what we're trying to say here. You know, if we don't recognize the the context that this was written, we can't see just how important this was. How important it was for the Christian husband to not treat his wife the way the culture did, but rather to treat her as a co-heir, someone who was inheriting that uh, grace of life, someone who we were as husbands to treat equally and to honor and to cherish. So you're absolutely right. This puts an even finer point on this. This is how important Peter, what Peter said was. You are talking about full submission to God over culture. And this is the culture that was persecuting them. And, and then he says to the church as a body, finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. We are to come together as a body of believers, submit, fully submitted to Christ, fully of one mind, loving one another, having sympathy, humbled, serving one another, not seeking, okay, you said something bad to me, so I'm going to say it back. I was treated wrong, so I'm going to treat you wrong. All of that discarded. We are a family in Christ, unified in that glorious grace that he has poured out upon us. Now, in the last few things that I wanted to touch on, and and, and Rich, you and I were talking about this. um, We touched on this earlier in the show. We talked about it last week as well. It's this how we react to these trials, these tribulations. And again, he's writing to people in persecution. In verse 13 of chapter 3, Peter writes, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? In other words, if you're if you're putting all your energy and and, and um, all your your mind and your heart into doing what is right and is good, by and large, people aren't going to come after you. But he says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Now, Rich, you and I think. I'm being attacked for the wrong reasons. I've done nothing wrong. Why are you coming after me? Yet he says, you, yet you, will, you, you can be suffering for righteousness sake. In other words, you're seeking to obey God. You're, you're loving your neighbor. You're honoring that your conduct is honorable among the people. You, you're obey, obedient to the, the laws of government where it doesn't conflict with the word of God. You are honoring your master, you're loving your wife, you're, you're, you're loving the body of Christ, you're doing all the things that Peter has called us to do. Why are you suffering? And he says, it's for righteousness sake. He says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, 
honor Christ the Lord as holy. And this is where this passage comes in. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Rich, we can suffer for righteousness sake. We can suffer because we are seeking to honor God. The people will actually come against us for seeking to be obedient to Christ. And yet, what does he call us to do? Put up our dukes, defend ourselves, defend our honor? No, he says, honor Christ as Lord and be prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks for the about the hope that lies within you. In other words, our defense is not for ourselves. Our defense is not about how good a person I am or why I'm being why mistreating me is wrong. Rather, it's I'm honoring Christ and my hope is in Christ. And so everything I'm doing that you hate me for, that you're saying, why would you be this way? Why would you not conform to the ways of the world? I'm going to tell you about Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you about the gospel that saved me. I'm going to show you that my obedience is to honor the one who took me in when I was a rebel sinner. We And we do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when we are slandered, not if, when we are slandered, those who revile you, revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Rich, we will suffer, we will be slandered, and we will be reviled because of our good behavior. And yet, we do so we we make that defense, we present the gospel, we present Christ with gentleness and respect. We're not standing there going, I'm gonna shove the gospel down your throat. You know, we're not, I'm not gonna I'm gonna beat you upside the head with my Bible. Rather, firmly, without apology, without wavering, proclaiming with all you know the power of the word of God. Proclaiming the gospel with gentleness and respect. Why? Because it's not about me. It's not about defending myself. It's not about defending my honor. I'm going to make myself less of a stumbling stone for this for the for this moment where I'm preaching the gospel to the people that hate me and I'm proclaiming the reason I'm obedient is because of the gospel. And I'm doing it with gentleness and respect. So now my I'm no longer the stumbling block. I'm doing it because they're going to be put to shame. Anyone who rejects the gospel and goes full into persecution and hates you and persecutes you will be put to shame on the day of judgment when you do the books are opened and they see what they've done and they've seen what you did. You will, you know, it says... Humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will exalt us, right? So we humble ourselves. We preach the gospel. We do it unapologetically, but we do so without being a stumbling block. We honor Christ. We will be slandered, we'll be reviled, we'll be hated. But on the day of judgment, they are put to shame. And additionally, when we're doing this right now, I mean, think about Paul when he says, I'm in, you know, I'm in prison for the sake of the gospel, and everyone in Caesar's household knows it. Everybody knows why I'm here. So not only are they put to shame on the day of judgment, but as you are being persecuted, the people around see what's going on. 
and they they put to shame the people that persecute you and you testify of the gospel through your obedience and through the proclamation of the gospel and then he says something that's mind-blowing for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be god's will than for redoing evil and that was what you were getting at before rich we will face persecution. It's not a question. It's going to happen. And it may well happen because we have been zealous for what is good, to do what is right in the sight of God. And yet, rather, as you were saying, Rich, rather than seeking God deliver me from this and this is so unfair, rather we say, I'm going to glorify God. And I'm going to make a defense for the hope that lies within me, but I'm also going to do so in such a way that I do not dishonor Christ by being disrespectful and mean-spirited and harsh, but rather I'm speaking respectfully and with gentleness because I want the people to hear the gospel, to see Christ glorified in what I say and what I do. And if I still suffer, then that's a good thing because it would be better to suffer for doing good than to, for doing evil. The, that I think that meshes with what you were saying earlier, right? Oh, absolutely. Sadly, though, we let our emotions take over. We become more focused on winning an argument than we are focused on how we should be conducting ourselves. I mean, the, the gospel itself is a stumbling block. We don't need to add more to it by our, our emotions and our opinions. You know, if we're going to suffer and be slandered, what the, what basically what this is saying, if we are going to suffer and we will be slandered, but we didn't make sure it's for the right reason and not because of our own sinful responses is basically a short way to sum this up. Do you agree? Absolutely. I absolutely agree. And I, I wanted to, to emphasize that because we've spent so much time talking about how we should act and be under persecution, we need to now make that transition of what is it, these issues about suffering? How then, not only are we just being obedient to Christ, but there's a purpose. There's a reason behind all of this. And it's because Christ died and redeemed us, and he to redeem us, he rose again so that we have salvation and then you know chapter four he starts talking about since christ suffered in the flesh arm yourselves with the same way of thinking and then starts talking about we need to depart the things of the world it's it's past it's uh, the time is past for uh, or excuse me for the time that is past suffices for doing what the gentiles want to do living in sensuality passions drunkenness orgies parties and lawless idolatry with respect to this, they are surprised that you do not join them in their flood of debauchery, and they malign you. That's the point. You know, the reason we're being persecuted is because we don't do the things of the world. We are dead to sin. We turn. Why is it we? He's called people under persecution not to go to war, but to be obedient. Why is he calling them to live righteously? Because the world is looking at what we do, and they go. I hate you for this. I hate you because you should be doing what we do. We should be, you should be living in debauchery. And the world goes, I can't hate, I can't love you. I can't stand you because you, you are doing the very things that we 
should be doing, but we don't want to. We want to be in drunken, in drunkenness. We want to be in party. We want to be in orgies. We want to do all the sensual things that the flesh demands. The reason we're persecuted is because we reflect Christ and we expose their sins for what they are, sin. Well, it also comes down to during that age and today's age, the world says live for yourself, do what makes you happy, do what you seem to be, you know, what seems to be pleasurable to you, do what's right in your own eyes. Christ says, you live for me, you live to obey me, you live to glorify me and my Father. That is completely opposite of what the world taught then and what the world teaches now. And it even goes more so than that during that age and even in this age. You know, Peter was writing to brothers and sisters that were surrounded by Jews that rejected Christ. They were surrounded by the Gentiles who worshipped the gods of Rome and worshipped the emperor. You know, that time and now it was... Well, if somebody does something to you, you better get revenge. You better get them back. You know, for the Jews, they were still living under an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus said, no, you pray for those that persecute you. you if your enemy is thirsty, you give him something to drink. That was counter countercultural then, and it is countercultural today, whether it be in deed or in words online or in person. But that that similarity remains then and now people live for themselves they live to seek vengeance for themselves christ says vengeance is the lord's your duty (coughs) is to glorify christ and to glorify the father and to live a life holy and pleasing and to seek and to to desire that not to live in the flesh as the gentiles do then and now with all of the all the pleasures of the flesh but we're to reject that but one thing i think more so than anything else kind of wraps my portion of this up is when christ said take up your cross and follow me that means so much more than what people really understand it's not a matter of also just killing the flesh and killing sinful flesh and sinful desires but it's also giving up your pride, giving up what you seek after for yourself instead of seeking to please yourself, instead of seeking to build yourself up. Part of that taking up the cross means put aside your own opinions, put aside your own words, put aside your own feelings and emotions in your marriage, put aside trying to win an argument with your wife, put aside trying to win an argument online. That means to be humble to seek the betterment for all brothers and sisters, but most importantly, to seek to glorify Christ in everything, in thought, word, and deed. Amen. Yet we we are commanded to do that, but yet it is impossible for, for us to do that, which turns around and makes us still lean on Christ even more so to help enable us to even strive to do that, if that makes sense at all. No, absolutely does. It absolutely does. We are going to face those trials. We're going to face those tribulations. And as, as we wrap things up here, just a, just a couple more passages to, to look at. Chapter 4, verse 12, Peter writes 
and says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though some strange thing were something strange were happening to you. And I think we do that a lot. When the world comes against us, we don't get it. And I think one of the chief reasons that you have people like we talked about at the beginning of the show that get so upset with a church that says we're not going to embrace the fears and the cultural idols of the day, we're going to preach the word of God, is they don't want to face those fiery trials. They see the fire trials as evidence that we've done something wrong. But Peter flips the script and he says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial as if it's something strange. He says, but rejoice. Now that's a strange thing to hear. A fiery trial. All right. Imagine if the hunk of metal that was put in the purifier's fire to remove the metal or the impurities rejoiced because it knew it was going to be pure. I mean, it's, it's kind, of a, kind of a strange analogy, but think about it. it if, if it knew what it was going to become at the end, would it would it would be able to you know if it if it was able to have thought and emotion and, and stuff if it was alive and it knew at the end it was going to come out pure how would it react would it rejoice we here's the thing we know that we know we have the sure word of God you know in, in second Peter he as I'm as what I'm reading through right now Peter talks about how they saw the you know Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, yet we have something greater. We have the sheer sure a sure word of prophecy. We have the word of God. So we have this promise. We we have right here it says, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad because his glory is revealed. We're being put through the fiery trial for what reason? That Christ's glory may be revealed that we're being refined and purified and we're being identified with Christ that's why we rejoice it sounds so foreign a trial is a miserable thing why would i rejoice because you are sharing in Christ's sufferings you are being made like your savior and his and his glory is being revealed he says Verse 14, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. The fact that we go through fiery trials from the world that hates us because it hates us for being obedient to God because we will not take part in the flood of debauchery when they spit on us and they call us names and they hate us and they malign us and slander us and persecute us. What is it evidence of? That the glory of God, or spirit, spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. It's actual look, evidence. Look at, Go ahead. Look, look at the apostles in the book of Acts. After the second time they appeared before the high council, and they were beaten and, and told to not speak in the name of Christ anymore. When they left, they wasn't complaining they wasn't moaning with each other. They weren't talking about how they were going to get get back at the high council, how they were going to seek revenge for being beaten. No, 
they rejoiced that they mm-hmm. were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. I mean, they wasn't talking about what can we do to heal these wounds on our backs from the leather strap that just cut into our flesh. Mm-hmm. What can we do to get back at these men that just whipped us for no cause? What can we do to seek vengeance? You know, are we going to go out and start raising an army to attack them? No. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Amen. Now, put that in perspective into today's world. How many people can honestly say that they would rejoice at the fact that they were just whipped with thick leather shrouds, striking their back, cutting their flesh, opening up their meat inside their muscles and bleeding, would rejoice for the fact that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. We, we can't put aside our own opinions and our pride and suffer because someone said something ugly to us online. We get all riled up and want to go back after them and attack them. We can't, we can't even manage to control a response on a keyboard. How much more so would it be to be able to rejoice in that, at the hands of that type of suffering? It's something that we all need to stop and think about. And something I think you and I may need to look at doing an episode maybe next week is the fact that so many today are surprised at the trials that come along. So many are surprised when they are maligned mm-hmm. for professing Christ and seeking to obey Christ. I think that is another very key important factor is the fact that so many today seem surprised when this happens and so many try to avoid it happening mm-hmm. that that is completely counter to what the Bible teaches us. Christ told us we would suffer on account of him. Peter's just echoing what Christ said mm-hmm. and taught him. Peter's echoing what happened when he and the other apostles stood before the high council. He's echoing what happened when Saul of Tarsus was persecuting the church. He's just repeating what our Lord and master had already said, but Paul had witnessed, I'm excuse me, Peter had witnessed and had experienced it. And now he's trying to turn around and teach the brothers and sisters that have come along now that are suffering that same persecution in, during their time of exile, which most likely would have been the brothers and sisters that fled Jerusalem during the time of Saul of Tarsus. Mm-hmm. But it's just some things that I, I would encourage each one of us to consider and think about. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing is that the reason we should not be surprised is because, as you said, Christ himself said it would happen. No servant is greater than his master. If they hate you, remember they hated me first. That was what he taught them. So we will face it. We will be insulted. We will be slandered. We we will be persecuted. And so what does Peter say in verse 19? He says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will... By the way, you don't suffer outside of God's will. God willed it. If it's happening, God willed it. Let those who suffer according to God's will do what? Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. God 
wills us to endure the fiery trial. He allows us to go through the suffering. And we've talked about multiple times why. It glorifies his name. It makes it puts to shame the uh, the evildoers who mock and slander us. It you know it 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 calls people to repentance. It exposes sin. It is all according to his will. So we know that we know it's his will because it's happening. If it didn't have if it wasn't his will, it would not happen. So it happens according to his will. So knowing that, knowing that God has willed this, what are we to do? We are to entrust our souls to him. He is a faithful creator. Trust me, God is not faithless. He will not fail. He doesn't lose heart. He doesn't lose trust. He doesn't do any of those things. He is faithful, faithful to his word, faithful to his promises. And so we do that. We entrust our souls to the very creator who is faithfully working out his will. And then we turn around, having entrusted our souls to him, we go forward and do good. We do the work that he has called us to. And wrapping things up here, in in, in chapter 5, he says in verse 6, Humble yourselves. Let me stop right there. Everything we have talked about over the last two programs requires this. See, when we get surprised at the fiery trial, when we don't want to obey, when we don't want to submit, when we don't want to uh, live in a hospitable way, when we uh, don't want to be obedient to God, we are arrogantly presuming we deserve something different. It is humility before God that bows the knee and says, no matter how bad it gets, I'm going to obey God. Why? Because I've entrusted my soul to a faithful creator. No matter how bad it gets, I'm going to be obedient to him. I'm going to proclaim his glory. I'm going to proclaim his excellencies and his gospel message. That is humility because it means I don't trust me. I'm not in my pride trying to promote something or promote my agenda or trying to convince people in my power. Rather, I am humbly trusting the one who has willed for me to go through this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. You will be exalted one day. You will stand in the courts of the living God and your name will be exalted and you will receive reward for your faithfulness and all your works will be tested as with fire and wood, hay and stubble, all the things we did for ourselves be burned up. But what is left in terms of the precious jewels and the gold and silver, the things that we have done in his name righteously, we will be rewarded for. And you might even see in this life where God may, uh, you know, as we saw with Grace Community Church, the faithful elders who stood by and said, we will not bow to Caesar in this area because Caesar cannot tell the church what to do. So we will stand. And what what has happened? All those people that said, MacArthur, you should compromise. How dare you you use use up your political capital this way? Now look at him. And there are a lot of people eating crow. But do we do it so that we will be exalted? Of course not. We do it because we trust the very faithful creator who has willed for us to go through and in his proper time at a time of his choosing, we will be exalted. So what do we then do? Verse seven, casting 
all your anxiety is on him because he cares for you. Everything we're going through, the suffering, the trials, the tribulations, we take it all to the cross. We put it on him, uh, on him and we say, we, we need you, Jesus. We need your strength. We need your uh, power. We need your spirit upon us to endure, to continue to serve you. This isn't about just, hey, I've had a bad day at work and I'm going to count it all joy and I'm going to cast it on Jesus because he cares for me and he'll give me a better job or he'll give me this or that. He'll, he'll help my finances. Yes, bring those anxieties, of course. But we bring them in this context as people suffering for Christ. We've humbled ourselves. We've served him and we bring the the the. the pain and the sorrow and the misery and the stress and the strain and we cast it upon him why because he cares for us you think christ allows you to go through suffering because he can't stand you no he loves you he cares for you and he is using you to glorify himself to testify to the glories of the gospel to the redemptive power of jesus christ to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. He's using that. He cares for you. You are a trophy of his grace. And he allows you to go through it so that you will be made more like your Savior and his name will be glorified. In these times, when we are casting our cares upon him, when we are humbling ourselves before him, what does Peter say? Verse 8 be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It is in these times when Satan wants to sift us like wheat, as he said to Peter, as Peter was told by Christ himself. He wants to sift you like wheat. He knows. Peter, of all people, knows. This is the man who denied Christ three times. To save his own skin. He knows what it means to cast your cares upon him. And what it means to not be watchful. To not be sober minded. Because he thought, I can do this. I'll stand with Christ. I'll fight to the bitter end. And then a little servant girl says, weren't you with him? I don't know what you're talking about. He knows what it means not to be sober-minded. He knows what it means to fall under the power of Satan and to fall under that fear. I'll add something here. We have something available to us today that at that point in time, Peter did not have. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. It was through the gifting of the Holy Spirit that the apostles could stand before the Jewish high council. It was through the gift of the Holy Spirit that Peter on the day of Pentecost could proclaim the glories of Christ to the thousands upon thousands of men and women that were standing there listening. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us now. The moment you got saved, the moment you became a Christian, the moment you became an adopted child of Christ, you were granted the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's the same Holy Spirit today that empowered Peter at the time and the day of Pentecost to proclaim Christ in front of the many, many, many hundreds that wanted to put him to death, the same high council that had ordered the death of Christ, that same Holy Spirit that was available to them that day is available to us because Amen. the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were the same yesterday, today, and the same tomorrow. 
go to Christ in prayer, plead for the gift of the Holy Spirit, plead for the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and above all, do like this passage says, be sober-minded. More times than not, we go throughout our day relying on our own instincts, our own emotions, our own feelings. But the key point in this is to go to prayer. And I'm a huge advocate and believer in prayer because I've experienced and I know and I've seen the power of prayer. Go to Christ in prayer and plead with him to grant you these desires if you don't have them today. If you're not saved, go to Christ in prayer and beg him for the gift of salvation. Beg him for the gift of love for others. Beg him for the gift and desire to live a life holy and pleasing to him. Don't rely on yourself. Don't rely on your own will. Don't rely on your own intellect or your school or your seminary. Don't rely on all the teachings you've had over the years. Rely on Christ and the Holy Spirit to guide you and plead with him to be with you throughout each day guiding your life, guiding your thoughts, guiding your heart, and guiding your decisions, and if need be, to guide you and lead you through times of suffering and persecution, remembering above all else to always live a life to glorify Him, and with the desire, discernment, wisdom, truth, and love to proclaim His gospel to this lost and dying world, because it's the only hope it has, and it's the only hope that it needs. Amen. Amen. And it's with that power of the Holy Spirit that Peter says, speaking of our adversaries of the devil, he says, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Rich is absolutely right. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to do these things. That is only by submitting in humility to the you know to God in the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do this and is through that same power that you resist the temptations of Satan because it is those fiery trials he wants to use he wants to tear us away from God he wants to cause us to flee from God and to sin against him and to compromise the world with the world and if we would just just compromise a little bit the, the pain and the suffering would stop which is a lie from the pit of hell but it is What does he say? Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced here by your brotherhood around the world. We have a unique brotherhood in Christ. We know that if we suffer here, there are brethren around the world enduring the same suffering. And that is... that believe it or not, gives you strength. When you think you're alone, that is when we can be so easily tempted and so easily led away. But there is strength in knowing that there are others like yourself suffering the same trials and tribulations who have to stand firm in the faith. And that gives us a strength to know that God is working through all of us. He is using this in all of us. And so the idea that, you know, that I just, I, I don't, I, I don't know that I can endure this. No, you resist him because you know your brethren are likewise resisting him. And they are doing so by the same power of the same Holy Spirit. And then he wraps things up saying in verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, a little while, think about it, your life is a vapor. And yet he says, a little while. 
In, the, in God's economy, what we endure in this life is just a little while. The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. For a little while you will endure. And maybe it's for a brief time in our economy, or maybe it's by the end of this life. But Christ, we have been called to God through Christ's eternal glory. And God himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God himself will do this. So whatever we go through in this life, whether we endure it for, as I said, in our economy a short time, or whether it's in the entirety of our life, and yet we stand before God, one way or the other, he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You have his power, his strength. And you have his sure promise that he will do this. He will not forget you. He will not falter. He will not, ooh, I meant to get to you. No, he will surely do this. And you can endure because he will do this. This entire book, five chapters, is such a turning on its head of of the world's thinking. The world says, if you will just conform to us, you don't have to go through this, which is such a lie. And the world says, go with the flow. Just follow your heart. Don't worry about what other people are doing. You know, in fact, join them. And life will be joyous and pleasurable. And sin is such a liar. It's so destructive. It tears us apart and tears us down and and wrecks our lives. Such a liar sin. Yet Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, says, resist all that. Stand firm in your faith. Be obedient. Be a person who is hospitable. A person who is obedient to the law. A person who serves his master faithfully. Who loves his husband or wife. Who comes together with the body of Christ and stands against sin and proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord and does so all in the face of persecution. Why? Because we are bought with a price. We are bought by the shed blood of Jesus Christ and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit and we humble ourselves. Why? Because God has willed this all. And we humble ourselves and we resist the temptations of the devil. And we know we can do it all because Christ himself has promised that God will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. That is why we are called to live righteously in times of tribulation. Because it's all about God and nothing about us. And yet we get to be with him eternally and we get to share in his glory and we get to be confirmed and strengthened by the one who purchased us. There's nothing this world has to offer, including we'll stop persecuting you. There's nothing that it has that compares to the glory of Christ and the power that he will use 
to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That is where your strength lies. It is not in your own hands. It is not in your own cleverness. It is not in your own abilities. Rather, it is humbly submitting in obedience to Christ and standing against the wiles of the devil and the assaults of the world. That's why we're called to live uh, obediently and righteously. That's very different from what the world expects of us. And I hope, I hope these two episodes challenge you in that because it challenged the daylights out of me. Rich, any last thoughts? I'll close out like I do each week. Whatever you do this week, make it a point to proclaim the gospel at least once a day. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, thank you for spending these two uh, weeks with us on on this on this particular topic. I mean, there's so much in First Peter that I mean, we could spend weeks upon weeks upon weeks uh, going through these various things. But those were passages that I I shared with Rich that I thought these these are the things that just I mean, they were like a gut punch and just made me stop and think. And I'm not saying that I've, I've learned all the lessons I need to learn. I certainly have a long way to go. You know, Rich and I said this last week, we're the chief uh, students here. <laughs> the, you guys just coming along for the ride. But um, we pray that what this has done is at a time when there's a lot of fighting going on, and some of it, we there are places where we have to stand firm and say to the world, this far and no further. And sometimes we have to stand up for what is right and true. But even in the times that we fight, where we have to stand against the assaults of the world, we must do so in such a way that we are living righteously and it is evident to the world that we are living righteously. We don't seek to incur persecution, but we don't run from it either. We know that it's about it's going to happen at some point. And we stand firm in our obedience to Christ. We don't give ground. Because it, what he's doing through that. I mean, we talked about it. By your behavior, the world around you sees that your testimony is true. What is that a testimony of? It's a testimony of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Of the transforming power of the gospel. And the power of God unto salvation. It's demonstrated in our ability to do that. And as Rich said, it's because you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. You don't have the Holy Spirit so you can do fire tunnels and uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, flopping on the floor and barking like a dog. And so you can do leg lengthening tricks and, and, and all this kind of nonsense. You have the power of the Holy Spirit so you can testify of the excellencies of Jesus Christ even as you go through persecution, even as you go through fiery trials. So we hope that these two episodes helped you see that. So we are so grateful. Now, if, if this, these programs have helped you in any way, we've, we've heard from a couple of you. We're so grateful to hear from you. If these have helped you in any way, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what, how this has challenged you, what it has made you think about uh, uh, how you should live. We'd love to hear that. If, if there's anything about these programs that help you and you think there are other things that you'd like us to talk about, let us know. 
we, we want to use this program to minister to you. It's not just about the things that we want to talk about. We, you know, if there's things that you guys want to hear us talk about, let us know. And some of you have been gracious once in a while to send us something. But if there are things like this that will help you, please, please let us know. Voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. And again, we this is not about promoting the show and trying to get bigger numbers. If these episodes helped you, please share them with someone else. <clears throat> We've always said that your primary instruction, your primary place of growth is always your local church. This is at best a tertiary tool. But if it can help someone, we would love for you to consider sharing it. It Just hit the retweet. <laughs> you know, put it on Facebook, whatever social media platform you're on. We'd love for you to share it because we want to be a tool that God can use to help our brethren in Christ. And I've said it before, um, whatever, whatever platform you're listening on, consider leaving a review. Not because it, it makes us feel better, but as people listen and they look at reviews to see what a show is like, um, it helps them to know whether it's something they can benefit from. So we would ask you to consider doing that. Don't forget to share the website, slavetothekeng.com. Don't forget to share our social media, which can also be found on that page, uh, Slave to the King page. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I apologize for the coughs tonight, folks. I, by the way, my, co my COVID is gone, according to my last test. Um, I'm required to retest, test weekly, by the way. And so I don't have it, but I'm still coughing and sneezing. And I know I think some of that bled over onto the mic. I'm terribly sorry. Um, I, I think there's just some leftover congestion I haven't got quite rid of yet. Um, thank you for your time. Um, hopefully we will be back next week, God willing. Uh, the week after that is G3. So the, we will probably uh, run a, a, a previously recorded program or a... Um, or we'll, uh, we'll run a, a past episode because uh, we like to keep you guys at least having something to listen to. Uh, we found that that seems to help. It's, it just seems to help keep the show active if we, if we keep putting stuff up. And by God's grace, we've got a lot of episodes we, we can always reshare. Um, but I look forward to that. I look forward to being at G3 and getting to meet some of you guys. Uh, and again, I, I'm going to put this out there. And it, I can't go into details, but I think there's stuff coming up in the next year that um, might give us more opportunity to to you know to make the program available to more people, and um and 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 maybe be able to even you know who knows maybe even be able to meet face to face as more conferences become available. But if you would like us to be at those again, we we're, we run this out of our own pocketbooks. We we we're not trying to make money off of this. So if you want us to be part of those things, we would love your help. We'd love to, you know, and I get it. You're like, Chris, I can't even make it to the, one of these things and you want me to pay your way. That's, that's not what I'm trying to say. Um, but if you would like us to be at these things, we, we would sure love your help because we'd love to be able to do it. Um, but like you and like everybody else, you know, budgets are, are things that we have to, we have to maintain and we have to take care of our families. And so we will continue to do this with what God provides. And if, if it's, we do it from our, our, our living rooms, then that's what we do it from. Uh, but if you would like to help us to be able to do those things and, and, and maybe do more with the program, um, that Patreon link is there. So we'll, we'll, we'll leave that for between you and God to decide. Um, but thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for continuing to make this show 
just such a blessing to do. Um, we are so grateful for you guys. Uh, we, if we didn't have anybody listening, we'd be talking to ourselves and that wouldn't make for much of a podcast. So, (laughs) uh, we thank you. God bless you guys. We will see you next time. Mm -hmm.